0: Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we're going to discuss episode 14 of season four of Supergirl, titled Stand and Deliver, which is the title of a movie that you, Vivi, have rewatched in preparation for this podcast.
1: Yeah, I had seen it in high school and I was excited when I saw that it was the title for this episode because it seems very relevant thematically to what's been going on with Supergirl this season in terms of this idea that Kara has about believing in people's potential. There were a couple of quotes that stood out as being really relevant to the content of this episode of Supergirl, and specifically one that said, people will rise to the level of your expectations. Mm-hmm. And so the context from the movie is that no matter what your background is or how much people write you off, you need to believe the best in people and what they're capable of, because no matter whether your expectations are low or high, people will meet
0: them. Yeah. So we saw on this episode, that was one of the core messages after all of the chips fell by the end. And the other sort of biggest theme of the episode is a line mentioned by Brainy. He said, Elmiara stronger together. So the episode sort of reinforces this concept of how being a hero with physical abilities and maybe powers isn't always as powerful as connecting with others and communicating and empathizing. And so stronger together, not just in terms of maybe your interpersonal relationships and having like a group, but the concept of connecting with each other on a broader level, I would say humanity, but just people, because we're also discussing aliens, American aliens. (laughs) So we see several of the Supergirl characters kind of grappling with that concept, learning that lesson, particularly Kara,
1: So we had these two kind of polar extreme groups working together in this episode. And then we also had Kara specifically with her squad of other alien super friends, which I had said I think a couple of times now that I was looking forward to seeing because we've never had Kara in this kind of situation where she has the opportunity to be around other aliens who relate to some of her more unusual life experiences.
0: Yeah. So Kara starts off the episode basically thinking that the priority is keeping everyone who goes to the march that happens in this episode safe, keeping them alive and uninjured, which is interesting because I think we've talked about this before. Kara is surprisingly practically minded in comparison to, say, Alora. Mm. We've talked about how Alora, as a character has like really strong values, but then has issues kind of practically applying them. Yeah. And then Kara kind of shows up in season three and Allura's like, oh, it can be done. (laughs)
1: Well, it's kind of like Kara is a combination of both Allura
0: and Astra's better qualities. <laughs> Fair. Well, we've also talked about how Eliza kind of instilled that yes. you need to be educated and, <laughs> and know how people think. Yes. And Kara talked about how for a long time she thought that Allura had chosen not to get in the pod with her, that Alora had the ability to sort of squeeze in the pod with Kara, but then chose not to for some reason. She came to the conclusion that it was because she felt guilty. So like that idea of Alora choosing what she perceives as like an honorable sacrifice dying with your planet kind of thing over taking care of her daughter, which got more complicated when Allura ended up being alive. And there's more information, but it's sort of consistent with who Allura is as a character. And then on the other hand, we see Kara who like she has these really intense beliefs and this optimism. But when she starts to believe that like something is the only option, for instance, obviously, sending Mono all the way in a pod, and she thinks that he might die that way, she will take the practical route So in this episode, Kara was given the choice of either making sort of a symbolic stand of displaying that she supports other aliens and the fact that they deserve to have rights versus – keeping them safe flying above them and, and like watching out and making sure nothing physically harms them. And it was interesting because I watched the sort of inside Supergirl videos that they have on YouTube sometimes with the uh, showrunners mm-hmm. and they emphasized how Kara was sort of flying above them as opposed to down there with the other people, which I thought was interesting. And her initial choice is to practically watch out for the people and make sure that nothing dangerous happens to them. And it's sort of interesting because with the juxtaposition of Alora and Kara, Kara has always been sort of the example of how to be. Like, it's good to have values, but you also have to be practically minded. And now we see this quality in Kara that we deemed as positive being the lesser option in this scenario. It's kind of like at the beginning of the season when we saw Kara's optimism shown in a negative light. And that sort of arc, Kara's optimism, has an interesting conclusion that we'll talk about a little bit later.
1: So Kara's in an interesting position in this episode because we have these two directly opposed extremist factions, and she's very much standing in the middle, trying to offer an alternative path. But even within her immediate family and group of friends, she's also trying to kind of hold everybody together while a number of people's emotions are running off in different directions Mm. and she's trying to keep everybody level and moderate the situation that they're in with this political protest and then also some of the other challenges that everybody's facing on both the personal level and the political
0: yeah which is interesting because she's in this position now with like brainy and nia kind of looking to her for what to do but brainy ends up kind of giving Kara some advice in this episode with a uh, inspiring hero speech so brainy's the one who asks Kara to join them in the march in support of alien rights and he's sort of disappointed that she decides not to
1: well he's disappointed because she says that she's going but
0: not <laughs> the way he wants her to yeah <laughs> And so he, he tries to persuade her using that phrase, "Elmar, are stronger together. And it's sort of interesting to see him in this position where he's kind of trying to remind Kara of her own values in a way, which several of the characters over the course of the seasons have done with Kara. But he's in a sort of unique situation because he, as a part of the Legion from the future, was like told tales about Supergirl and her values were instilled in him and she was kind of like a historical figure. He's in a unique position to be able to understand what impact Supergirl can have on people. Mm, Yeah. As a symbol. And when he says the stronger together thing, it's interesting because it's the direct opposite of a chant that we hear later on in the episode that Ben Lockwood starts, us or them.
1: Which I was joking to you is like an epitome of American politics. Everything is us or them because we've been stuck in the two party system since the beginning of the country. Yeah.
0: And then this sort of concept is supported elsewhere in the episode with the sign that reads justice and dignity for all in the background of the march. I thought it was interesting that they sort of emphasized the for all because Kara's motto is hope, help and compassion for all. And then on the other hand, we have Quentin, the guy who Supergirl saved from the elite who were shooting at Lockwood at the beginning of the episode. And then later on, we see him sort of heckling the marchers. And then when Kara confronts him about that, he says, literally, why should they get any rights? They're just here to hurt us. So it's this concept of us versus them, they are the enemy, we should fear them. The theme that they're tackling this whole season of Hope versus Fear, we see fear being played upon here. And I thought this concept was interesting because I'm reading this book called A Paradise Built in Hell by Rebecca Solnit. But she talks about these like five natural disaster events that occurred and individuals and their stories and their experiences during them. And the sort of concept that she's trying to deliver is that people, when disasters happen kind of unite together, which goes against the widespread idea that people will riot and betray each other. And as she's talking about these various disasters, she says that innocents have been killed by people who believed or asserted that their victims were the criminals and they themselves were the protectors of the shaken order. She says, beliefs matter. So, this concept is sort of supported that people become violent when they see the other person as the enemy, when there's that separation. And when that isn't there, that people act pro-socially, naturally. And that concept sort of connects to what happens in the march when things start to get violent later on in the episode. But For Kara, she realizes that Quentin believes that she's sort of the exception, that she isn't a part of that group of aliens. So he's able to consider them a them and then Supergirl extract her and she's not a part of that. She's an us.
1: Yeah, and it was nice the way that they did that because this idea of there being the exceptional immigrant is a really common trope throughout the way we talk about immigration in the United States. And it's something that politicians in particular like to rely on in terms of separating immigrants into like the good ones and everybody else who we need to keep out because they're terrible. Mm -hmm. And so they embodied that really well in that exchange between Kara and not Aaron Samuels (laughs) Uh, in the sense that I think she's always been aware of the fact that she is in some ways exceptional because of the powers that she has and the position that she holds in society. Mm -hmm. But in terms of her suddenly recognizing that people don't connect her to these very real struggles in kind of the same way that she saw Alex shortly after the mind wipe saying, you don't feel vulnerable. No one thinks that. Mm -hmm. And realizing, oh, she needs to be more open about how she fits as an immigrant to Earth and to the United States in order for people to connect her to this movement in the way that she feels
0: connected to it. Mm -hmm. So she's thinking that she's like positive representation for aliens this whole time and comes to the realization that they're not connecting that image of Supergirl with this concept of the everyday ordinary alien and decides to stand with them in her Kryptonian robes that she got on Argo, her only clothing she would probably have as an adult that she can wear, which was awesome.
1: It was. It was very cool to see it. And especially the way that she chose to show up and come down and physically land in front of the whole thing and Mm. be like, you know what? No, this is about me too.
0: So Quentin sees that, and then later on, when things start to go awry with the march, he sees an alien on the ground and... Car watches as he sort of reaches out to him and, and she sort of flinches forward to stop him. She assumed that Quentin was maybe going to attack the alien and then he pulls him up instead and it's interesting because Car started off the season being like too optimistic and not wanting to see that a hate crime was a hate crime. Mm. And then we sort of see her confronted with the hatred that people can feel toward aliens over the course of the season and we get to this point where she sees Quentin reaching forward Word and has the assumption that he's going to act violently and then is happily surprised to see that he's reaching out a hand to help. And it's nice to sort of see her have that moment of affirmation of optimism, like, sometimes things are okay.
1: Yeah. And then to tie it back to kind of the reason that the episode is titled the way it is and saying stand and deliver, you do see the impact of Kara being so optimistic and insisting and believing that, no, everybody can be better. Mm -hmm. And if you just stop assuming all the time that everything is always going to be the worst and that all people are going to do the worst possible thing and give them the room to
0: do the right thing, more people will do it than you'd expect. Yeah. Which, you know, goes back to that idea that the Paradise and Hell book is trying to affirm. It uses an excerpt from this article written in 1906 regarding the earthquake and fire in San Francisco by Pauline Jacobson called How It Feels to Be a Refugee and Have Nothing in the World. Can't
1: imagine why you thought that would be resonant <laughs> with this episode or Kara's story at
0: all. Yeah, strange. I know. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> And she writes, and that is the sweetness and the gladness of the earthquake and the fire, not of bravery, nor of strength, nor of a new city, but of a new inclusiveness. And that kind of sums up one of the major themes here, which is it's not about bravery or strength, even it's about inclusiveness and recognizing that people are capable of having empathy and connecting with each other. And that this situation that Supergirl, the show has displayed does make some sense because of this idea that when disasters or crises happen, people will unite and try to help each other.
1: Yeah. And when you were telling me about this book, I said it sounded a lot like you know, living through 9-11 and being in that part of the country in that period of time, that was the reaction of most people. Mm-hmm. Because when you're confronted face to face with pain, humans are social creatures and your natural instinct is usually to want to help people.
0: Mm-hmm. So when the humans and aliens alike were in this building and the extremists started fighting and being violent and trying to encourage violence in others, people saw each other suffering with their eyes right in front of front of them as opposed to hearing about an, like an abstract concept of aliens. It's like these are real individuals that you're looking at as opposed to the scary, dramatized threat that they would hear about, you know, through the media or on the internet or from word of mouth. From Ben Lockwood's mouth. Yeah, from Ben Lockwood's mouth. And then it was interesting because we see, you know, talking about this idea of face-to-face seeing someone else suffering with your eyes, then we have the Children of Liberty all wearing masks mm, Yep. and attack Attacking aliens and hiding their, like, quote unquote, humanity. And then I thought it was funny because the song that played Mad World was like, all around me are familiar faces. Except for these people in masks who <laughs> yes. have no face. Mm-hmm. And then the word got out, and James took that photo, and people went forth knowing that this sort of connectedness is possible. And so Brainy's plan worked out.
1: Yeah, Brainy criticizing Nia for wanting to know about her family heritage because it might change the future (laughs) but then you just went and started
0: an entire political protest (laughs) what's that about? Hashtag American Alien (laughs) (laughs) well played His, his name was interesting though because that was the name of the first episode of the season. It was So Bernie was the sort of strongest supporter of this idea that we've been talking about, the theme of the episode of someone having the ability to fight, not meaning that they are strong. And he talks about how he came to this realization. He says, when I lost my Legion ring, I realized how much I depended on it for strength and confidence, which was kind of comparable to the line that Nia says, which is, I thought that you said being a superhero was about showing strength. And Carr's like, no,
1: (laughs) that's not what I meant.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we also see that Brainy has sort of come to terms with being able to show strength in other ways when he thinks that he lost his ring forever and immediately shifts his thinking over to the march and getting people to go to it. He also says toward the end of the episode, you don't need a ring when you have friends, (laughs) which is a nice summary of that concept. Yeah.
1: Well, and speaking of Nia, it was really neat to see how nicely she integrated into the group this time. And it's also very cute how she was kind of tagging along with Kara and trying to do everything and imitate her in much the way that, like, little Kara used to follow Alex everywhere. (laughs) Cute. It was. It was very sweet.
0: Yeah. So she sees Kara's, you know, Supergirl and is really into the, like, idea of what being a superhero is so when car gives like her little hype speech she says classic superhero speech <laughs> and then later on is like returning to the scene the crime is a classic bad guy move <laughs> it is interesting that we see she has sort of some similarities to how Kara was with Kara saying how she practically slept in her suit. But then it's also interesting because Nia is like really overexcited, but also in a different way than we saw with Kara, where Nia is kind of threatening people aggressively. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like every action movie anyone's ever seen. Yes, exactly. And takes Kara's advice about showing strength little too literally. Kara says, well, I meant more hands on hips, not screaming in face. Which Nia then promptly does (laughs) and stands that way. Yeah, she stands right next to Kara and puts her hands on her hips and glares at the menagerie.
1: And that part kind of made me laugh because I occasionally will comment that when Kara wants to look like she's in a position of strength or she's feeling really tough, she'll stand like Alex because Alex stands that way too, the hands on the hips all the time. Mm -hmm. And that actually, that conversation between Kara and Nia circled around really nicely to later on in the episode where Kara and Alex are talking and Kara emphasizes to Alex that she is very much a hero and that part of being a hero is making tough decisions which um, rub salt in the wound why don't you show
0: Kara's <laughs> uh, uh, like you're really good at making tough decisions
1: <laughs> you don't even know that half of it <laughs>
0: like, uh, Kara knows her better than she knows herself
1: well and the other nice thing about that line that was mean cycles <laughs> 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 But the other cool thing about that line and Kara saying it is that Eliza told Alex the same thing in season one. Mm in the sense that Alex always is the one who makes hard choices because they're the right thing to do. yeah. And so that was a nice little bit of continuity and a reinforcement of this idea that Nia's kind of been accepted into being part of the family, but also that Kara, now that her dynamic with the close members of her family has changed, is kind of trying to step in and metaphorically bear some of that weight
0: herself. Yeah, but eventually Nia does calm down a little. A little. <laughs> <laughs> a bit. Um, not in enthusiasm, but in terms of uh, how threatening she she is at the end of the episode a child of liberty is standing over an alien and going to attack the alien and nia shoots the weapon out of their hand but then tells them to go run away as opposed to any kind of further violent action so there is a line yield or die (laughs) yield or die join or die Hmm.
1: yep that very famous revolutionary war quote
0: (laughs) And Cora's like, We're the not extreme ones. You need to chill. <laughs> and he's like, Okay. And Jean in this episode, his reactions to Nia were hilarious. Amusing, yes. <laughs> Carr thinks it's cute and Jean is
1: Jean is very classic parent, like oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> this youthful enthusiasm is hurting me.
0: Like You mentioned to me it was very like season one, Jean with Kara.
1: Yes, he had a very similar reaction to Kara, and Alex had a very similar response to the way Kara is in this episode. And I was like, she's just excited. Let her have fun. Like,
0: <laughs> but it's interesting in terms of Jean because he's developed since season one. However, he's in a bit of a rough patch. Yeah, and it's funny because Car is trying to be a positive example and like a mentor and and show Nia how it's done, and Jean is kind of not being helpful. <laughs> no, she's like less screaming in face, and and John in the same scene was like
1: literally screams in a Menagerie's yeah. face like two seconds later. <laughs>
0: Car's like, D- don't listen to Jean, listen to me. Which is then funny because Carl lays out this plan of how it's going to go. And then Jean sort of.
1: Derails the
0: whole thing. <laughs> yeah, he's like, leave Manchester to me and like runs away. And Carl's like, oh, okay. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah.
1: (laughs) cars like, and plan B. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, when you have two leaders of a group and they're conflicting and makes it a little bit difficult to show Nia how to hero. Although Nia and Jean did have that sort of cool interaction.
1: Yeah, that scene was really nice. And I think I commented last episode on how I like the way the show has been finding opportunities to match up different combinations of characters with each other. Yeah. Because that was definitely a weakness in previous seasons. So Mm. the fact that they got a moment together when they both have these kind of more mind driven powers was very cool yeah
0: and they've also in the past few episodes been using powers pretty interestingly so yeah but Jean,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah let's keep talking about poor space dad (laughs) because
0: he's going through some stuff
1: is this like the martian version of a midlife crisis (laughs) or something (laughs) maybe we know he lives over a thousand years so maybe it's his quarter life crisis
0: (laughs) possibly he's really angry at this episode and kind of like straight faced in situations where we've previously seen him more jovial. And even Kara notices. And when he is like in her dream state, he like leans in close and is like, does it usually take this long? Seems like kind of antsy and distracted the whole episode. And it's interesting because we saw Jean have a very different outlook on life in this contrast with his advice to Kara in season three, episode 12, he says there is great power in being the calm at the center of the storm. And Jean is not calm in the center of the storm at this moment. (laughs) No,
1: he's not. And she's used to him being like a source of advice and like a Calming influence. And especially now that she's trying to also kind of wrangle like Nia and Brainy and constrain Nia's over enthusiasm <laughs> for being a little too aggressive.
0: Yeah. Although it is not entirely unfamiliar because, for instance, in season one, Jean had that sort of rage in response to the white Martian. Oh, yeah, true. And Kara was trying to give him advice about that. So.
1: And it's certainly not like she doesn't understand those kind of emotions, especially since Manchester has been really kind of digging into Jean's sense of loss and like the anger that he felt over the death of his family and everything.
0: Yeah, Manchester brings up Jean's wife and daughters and says maybe you just need to lose more, which is a threat. Sure is. <laughs> and then Jean obviously has that further rage response, and it's funny because we talk a lot about how Jean' his sense of responsibility toward the world and being a hero is really rooted in his feelings for you know his family. Hmm. Yeah. So Manchester played upon the right thing. And it's also interesting because apparently Jean has been sort of psychically feeling Manchester's anger. Mm, Yeah. Which is neat.
1: Well, in the actual comic, doesn't Manchester have some kind of telepathic abilities or he has some kind of mind related power yes and it's been unclear if that's part of what's going on here or if it's just jean feeling some kind of weird emotional kinship he doesn't like
0: <laughs> manchester also did that thing with him oh right yeah manchester made john psychically connect with him and feel his feelings and then forced him to continue feeling those feelings and that was the episode when jean went to car at the end and made us all cry <laughs> Indeed. So John's going through the ringer. (laughs) And it's interesting because he and Lena appear to be the only characters sort of moving backwards or in a questionable direction. At the end of the episode, he changes into his green Martian form wearing his Martian Manhunter suit and says, you can't change me today. I find you like a Manhunter. So we'll see where that goes.
1: Yeah. And this episode definitely built on what we were saying last week, where it feels like they are using Jean as a stand in for Superman in the story of Superman versus the elite. Because mm-hmm. we had Manchester intentionally drawing Jean out, and he keeps trying to goad him into getting more and more violent and breaking his principles. And it reached the point where Manchester set up an illusion to trick Jean into harming another person while thinking it was Manchester.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that plot twist was nice because they hit it well because they played upon how Manchester is like suicidal and like it's like letting Jean beat him up. And it made sense for the character for him to act that way. So it wasn't immediately like, why are you doing this? (laughs) So that was interesting. Um, Another thing that was interesting, kind of from a meta level with Jean and Manchester, was when Jean said, nah, I think you're glad Fiona's gone. With her out of the way, it gives you the excuse to do all this. yeah. That was a really good moment. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about before how they basically fridged Fiona. They killed her character in order to further develop Manchester's character. I thought this is sort of an interesting slight subversion of it because it points out how it's just an excuse, like you could say in a meta way. Usually the fridging the writer is using this as a catalyst to allow the character to become what they want the character to become. It's like, oh, it makes sense for this character to fall apart with Manchester rather than this death, pushing him into a corner and making him into the person that he has become. It emphasizes that he chose to do this and Jean thinks that he on some level wanted to and that it gave him a reason to be able to become this person.
1: And then so Carr and her friends are in this kind of center moderate position between these two extremes and the show really wants to make sure you understand this in this episode because they open the scene with the elite to the song stuck in the middle with you and that's absolutely like where Kara and her friends are. Mm-hmm. And the lyrics in it are particularly funny because it goes like clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, and you have the children of liberty with their masks on and then the elite as these kind of like comic book trickstery characters mm-hmm. who definitely stand in as like a jokester type of architect. Yeah. And so we see the elite come in and Manchester is back at it again with his many references to film, television, books, etc. Everything. (laughs) He's a learned man and he wants us all to know it. (laughs) So he makes this spin in his first line on a quote from Friday Night Lights, which... Is an interesting choice because it's a high school football show and the original quote is clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And it's supposed to be reminding people to focus on yourself, be humble and be accountable for your own actions and your own mistakes. And instead, Manchester takes it and is like clear eyes, full tums because they just went out to eat. So now they can't lose. So his priorities are definitely not on any of these like high philosophical ideas, but they're just out to have a good time Mm -hmm. and make chaos, basically.
0: Yeah. And this chaos, of course, makes things worse for aliens whom they claim they care about and are fighting for. Like in the beginning of the episode, Lockwood's giving his gross speech. He says, you know, no longer live in fear of aliens or their random acts of violence (laughs) that he doesn't quite manage to say. Yes. And then the elite attacks and it ends up on the news. And it further perpetuates the idea of aliens being violent, even though Manchester is not an alien. Then Menagerie is half alien. Is a, is a she human has an alien with parasite an alien. living in her. <laughs> yeah, which is a confusing thing to talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure is. And, you know, he also, during the course of the episode, breaks into Kara and Clark's Fortress of Solitude, the place that stores artifacts of their heritage. He steals Kryptonian technology. Manchester, the walking Union Jack, <laughs> like the British Empire, appropriating their Kryptonian artifacts.
1: That's a beautiful analogy, especially given all the context about, you know, Car being a refugee and emigrating and the fact that Britain created a lot of situations where people had to do that mm. throughout history. Yep. <laughs> Um so one of Manchester's other little turns of phrase when they're in the fortress also gives you some hints into where he thinks he stands as opposed to like Kara and Jean. He describes the fortress as being in the belly of the beast, which is a very old expression and one of the most common ways it's used is to imply that you're in the heart of your enemy's territory mm. and obviously also somewhere dangerous. So we we see him as he's helping himself to all these various objects that came from Krypton and poking around in the room full of blinding light. (laughs) Kind of being like, this isn't my space, but I'm going to occupy it anyway. (laughs) Much like the British Empire. Yes. I
0: thought it was an interesting little moment between Manchester and the Hat. Manchester uses the fact that he helped Hat when he was being targeted for being an alien to sort of try to get him to follow his own personal vendetta meanwhile the hat has um he has big plans of his own <laughs> yes
1: yeah and so one of the things that we saw a little bit within Kara and her super friends but you see it more within the elite especially in the beginning half of the episode is there's a little bit of disagreement over what their ideology is and how they're going to implement their plans. Because as you just said, you know, there was this kind of disagreement between Manchester and the Hat. But then you also see them, they clearly have this plan at the very beginning of the episode and their revolutionary mission. (laughs) And as soon as they leave to all go do whatever their tasks are, Menagerie's like, well, maybe I have time to do this personal thing for me before I get around to doing." Doing this thing for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Again, kind of indicating that especially as the newest member of the group with no long-standing ties to the others. She doesn't really have any loyalty to them and she's not really there because
0: she believes very strongly in their principles. Yeah. She also doesn't have any long-standing ties to the other. <laughs> she was not an alien until very recently.
1: Yes, also a valid point.
0: <laughs> and then she immediately is captured because she went after some bling.
1: Yep, and then that stands in a nice contrast to Manchester and the Hat, who we find out later in the episode, are apparently genuinely
0: friends. And we also see that the hat does, in fact, have some motivation for being there. We sort of talked about in our last episode, his character and, and how we didn't really know what he was about because we knew Menagerie was there mostly for sort of superficial reasons. And we know Manchester's revenge plot, but the hat was sort of a mystery. And he says in this episode, we're supposed to be changing the world. So so it may be that the hat and the Morai have sort of pro-social end goals for real, as opposed to Manchester and Menagerie, who kind of have their own personal plans. So Manchester in this episode is focused on, you know, revenge. But he also says an interesting quote, they take one of ours, we take one of theirs, which ties back into that us versus them concept.
1: Yeah. And it also ties into his fondness for making biblical references, because that's very much what you'd call the eye for an eye mentality.
0: Mm. And speaking of us versus them, we have the other big group of the episode of Lockwood and the Children of Liberty.
1: Yeah. So Lockwood has been put in a position of high society political power, and he has jumped all over that and wasted no time. He's out there giving us press conferences about how aliens are terrible and... He's going to repeal all the laws that protect them, even though he legally can't. And (laughs) and the other thing, as we kind of said, he's talking about how aliens are so dangerous when it's actually humans who are coming after him (laughs) because of his behavior. And it's a little bit funny. In that scene, because when Manchester shows up, he paraphrases this really iconic line from the movie Scarface and goes, say cheers to my little friend while he's holding his gun. And it's a reference to a scene from that movie where... This guy is being attacked by a rifle gang and he on his own just shoots them all with a rocket launcher and then just like keeps killing a lot of people. Which is an interesting character tidbit to throw into this conflict between the elite and Lockwood because, again, it's Manchester aligning himself with these like really poorly regarded social groups. Like <laughs> he's already talked about how he was a football hooligan and they are not known for being great people. And now he's like quoting a mobster. <laughs> And the other thing kind of reinforcing this idea that maybe Jean had a point about Manchester having a death wish is uh, he quotes this line and the character dies at the end of that scene Mm. after he finishes shooting everybody. So the conflict between the elite and the Children of Liberty is getting pretty serious. (laughs) And Manchester's disappointed because he almost succeeds, except
0: someone gets in his way. (laughs) Yeah, Kara appears with her cape and blocks the shot. He threw away a shot.
1: (laughs) Yes. then Kara looks like she regrets that decision immediately (laughs) afterwards.
0: Well, she's sort of disdainful of the fact that she must do that.
1: Which nicely mirrors someone else's disdain for having to save Lockwood
0: later in the episode. (laughs) (laughs) The Danvers sisters glare together.
1: But it's actually a neat little scene because it builds on that whole thing with Quentin the heckler. Who's kind of parroting the uh, extremist xenophobic beliefs. Because you see this moment where he has this total hero worship for Supergirl and being able to see her in person. Mm. And it reinforces this idea of how symbolically powerful Kara is as Supergirl.
0: Yeah. Reminds me of how Lockwood's son initially was getting this influence from school and like starting to say stuff like roaches, but then also was like, Supergirl will save us and had that positive image of her.
1: Supergirl's not like a regular alien.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So then eventually when Kara does display that she is like the other aliens, it kind of fuses those two concepts for the Quentin character.
1: Yeah. And it also in some ways kind of completes... That struggle that Kara was on for all of season three of trying to figure out, like, how to be an integrated version of herself.
0: Mm, Yeah. One of the biggest questions of the entire series. (laughs) Who is Kara? (laughs) (laughs) Who is Kara's Royal Danvers Supergirl?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's her full name. (laughs) And then to continue with Lockwood and kind of where the Children of Liberty are at, they go full on disturbing by the rally at the end of the episode. It's allegedly Lockwood says he's having a press conference But I have never seen a press conference where the public official brings out their secret Nazi stand-in bodyguards and has them start revving up the crowd. Mm. So that was a choice. And then in his conversation briefly with Alex, we have Lockwood again comparing himself to Winston Churchill, who was a super big racist and kind of a terrible person, but did a few good things in World War II. And so Britain still likes him, sort of. And the other interesting thing that he says in that conversation that ties back to this idea they've been building all season about the relationship to history and him in particular as a professor of history is he says to Alex, well, just wait and see. History will prove me right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Brainy would disagree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brainy has a sneak
0: peek, if you will, at how history will turn out. And Blackwood's wrong. <laughs> If we didn't already know.
1: In case you missed that message. (laughs) So we have this rally. Lockwood is about to present his agenda in the most disturbingly legitimized way yet. And we get to see... Catco's alien reporter very bravely decide to go and you can tell he's a little bit afraid mm. and he spends the entire time that he's holding out a tape recorder not making eye contact with anyone mm. because of the intensity of the emotion and the way all the other people in the crowd are kind of chanting the us or them with Lockwood and he stirs up the crowd in a way that's definitely meant to be very reminiscent of all of these Right-wing politicians in the present day who are stirring up this sentiment by saying, you know, we're here to take back our land and then talking about the alien march. Do they have the right to do this? And I'm like, "Um, yes, the First (laughs) Amendment does say they do in about three different ways. You should know that, history professor. (laughs) And uh, as he's saying all of this, in the background, we have uh, Alex Danvers, who has moved from murder eyes to full on murder body pose. (laughs) Like, she's stand, her whole body is tense, like she's ready to fight and her hands are in fists before he's done talking. (laughs) Uh. So she really didn't want to have the job she did in this episode. Yeah kind of flipping back to our human allies to the middle ground. But it is interesting
0: because she didn't want to have that job, but like they've been saying about Alex and the DEO, it was a good thing she was there. <laughs> yep. Because she escorted Ben Lockwood off stage and got him away from the crowd so he couldn't rile them up anymore.
1: Well, not only that, her getting him out of the way also helped de-escalate the situation in the sense that if he had gotten hurt, he would have spun that mm. and found a way to escalate things even further. Further, or maybe convince the president to come up with some kind of new executive order to, you know, yeah. pull a Japanese internment camp thing and start locking the aliens up. But she had a couple of really great moments in this episode, specifically with Lockwood. Mm-hmm her. Did you hear that from my DEO agent? You turn into a terrorist mm. with like this veneer of politeness <laughs> on her face.
0: Um, and Lockwood like takes it seriously. It's like- Well,
1: and it it doesn't register at first because he's in like smarmy politician mode and like how he doesn't recognize that she's about ready to smack him when he touches her shoulder. Mm. And then he keeps on talking and doesn't see her glaring at him like she's planning where to hide his body. Yeah,
0: He did not read that room. <laughs> <laughs> the room of one yeah yeah i think probably the the terrorist word eventually
1: it registers it takes a second and then by the time it he realizes it he tries to offer some kind of statement back to her and her face is just like i said what i said <laughs> and we're done here mm. um, so in case you weren't keeping score like i was the final tally of death glares
0: was six <laughs> and it was fun A highlight of the episode, really. (laughs) There were a lot of highlights, though. There were. Speaking of, we had Alex, Kara, and uh, Supergirl. (laughs) The three of them. Alex goes to Kara to discuss her hatred of Lockwood, says that she's going to kill him, and Kara's like, That was the emergency. Which was interesting because Alex doesn't know that Kara's Supergirl, and Kara is familiar with a different scale of emergency.
1: Well, and also to kind of, we were joking before we started recording about Alex and her seriousness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kara's expectation of Alex plus the word emergency is usually like, The world is going to
0: end. Literally we love is dying (laughs) something terrible you're going to erase your memory oh wait
1: (laughs) Um. (laughs) why did you do that (laughs)
0: that's why i'm here
1: this is how we deal with pain and suffering guys
0: it's true but then we have alex who Knows Kara as Kara Danvers, who would have a normal level of expectation for what an emergency could be, which is still could be a lot, but probably not the world ending.
1: It actually, the way that they had that conversation, now that I think about it, reminds me a little bit of Kara early in season one being like, I need work advice. (laughs) Because it did kind of turn into that. Yeah.
0: And Kara also wanted relationship advice. He likes advice. And Alex goes to Kara for advice, which is kind of a different look on Alex. I mean, you've talked to me before about how Alex will maybe like vent to people. But we don't see her explicitly ask for advice on how to handle something very often. Like even with Jean in season three, when she was talking about if she would be able to juggle putting her life in danger at the DEO with having a kid, she wasn't like, what do I do? It was just like, this is the problem I have. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So that was really neat. It did feel different than kind of some of the conversations we've seen them have throughout the previous three and a half seasons in that it was a lot less intense, if that makes sense. Like Alex, she wanted to share her feelings and she wanted to get Kara's thoughts, but there wasn't this underlying stress Mm -hmm. and tension and like, I have to decide now because a crisis
0: is about to Mm -hmm. erupt. Well, keep in mind, like she doesn't know that Kara, for instance, is an alien, doesn't know that Lockwood has tried to kill Supergirl, her sister. So there's at least that layer of like, this is not, the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Like I have to support this person that is trying to kill my sister and people like my sister. Hmm. And then just the layer of like, this isn't a job that we both have. It's more casual, like, hey, I have a work problem, like you said.
1: And it also makes sense when you consider that Alex does still remember that Car was on that talk show and she's met Lockwood. Yeah. So in that sense, her coming and trying to see if Car can give her some other insight or something, you know, forgetting all the other stuff does make sense. Mm -hmm. So that was very cool. And then Kara gives Alex an absolutely lovely hero speech that she's needed to say for quite a long time. And like she implies it a lot, but I don't think we've ever explicitly heard her tell Alex to her face that she thinks she's Mm -hmm. a hero in that way.
0: In in part because Alex isn't often looking for that sort of advice or that kind of support from Kara. Yeah.
1: Well, the other thing, too, is Kara, the way their dynamic was before, I don't know that Alex would have taken her seriously. Uh, Why not? Because Kara's Supergirl. Kara's just saying that because Alex is her sister. Oh. (laughs) I mean, Kara would be very sincere and she'd mean it. But the question is, Alex, with all her insecurities about that dynamic and Mm. the fact that Kara is Supergirl, would she believe it?
0: Interesting. Although we do see Alex feel inspired by Kara's other identity, Supergirl. She says that seeing Supergirl out there like everyone else inspired her.
1: And that was another kind of stepping stone on this path of clarifying where Alex is mentally after the whole change with the mind way. And I think I pointed this out on my blog the other day too, that it's been a couple of months in the timeline of the story since that happened. And Alex, who is very slow to warm up to people, is finally really Kind of thawing where Supergirl is concerned because they've had a decent working relationship now. And also it's an opportunity that Alex has never had to see Supergirl the way everybody else does Mm -hmm. and to kind of appreciate what Kara stands for in a different way. So that'll be cool to see going forward, depending on how the memory thing is
0: resolved
1: how alex is going to reconcile like all these different insights
0: so this mind wipe has offered some new avenues for exploring the characters which has been fun different kinds of interactions
1: yes it's been great and then the other speaking of new insights into the characters this is not a new insight for us as the audience at least it shouldn't be (laughs) but apparently it's new to alex Um, (laughs) She says to Kara at the end of the episode, "'I followed my beliefs and not the rules.'" And it felt really good to take a moral stance and it's like, yeah, <laughs> we all know that, Alex.
0: <laughs>
1: you do it all the time. Yeah.
0: Our initial reaction was like, well, yeah, you, sh- you should know that, Alex. That's how you are constantly. But then apparently she didn't know that. It's new information.
1: Well, yeah. and But I can see how with the way that she always operated like pre wave, that maybe this never clicked in her mm. head as a fully formed thought. Yeah. Because within her job at the DEO, her motivation was always her personal beliefs and like her desire to protect her family, whether it was Kara or later Jean. Mm. You know, you had that whole conflict where she arrests Max Lord and Jean is like, that is illegal and she's like, he is compromising my family and I don't care. Speaking of following beliefs instead of rules. (laughs) Yeah, And she's kind of always been that way. But I think now that she mentally has this detachment from that in her professional life, she's more able to see it. Mm-hmm.
0: She can recognize it for what it is as opposed to yeah. having all these complicated interwoven emotions.
1: <laughs> kind of like how in one of the previous episodes we talked about the fact that now that she doesn't remember that Kara is Supergirl, she was able to spot some of the other problems that she was having in her mm-hmm. personal life Yeah, because she had the, the Room and the the emotional clarity to see them. Mm -hmm. So, Alex is doing okay, guys.
0: Yes. (laughs) Speaking of things clicking,
1: literally or figuratively?
0: Both. (laughs) James in this episode picked up the camera again.
1: Yay.
0: So, James decides to go to the march.
1: Yeah. And to tie this back to how the characters have been grouped throughout this episode, James, like they've been doing all season, is standing in as this other human ally character next to Alex. And the reason he decides to go to the protest or the rally is because he recognizes that his employee, who is an alien, needs that support, and it's a way that he can show that and stand up for his principles.
0: Mm. He also gives a speech about journalism, reinforced the theme of the episode. He says, "You fight injustice with your fists. You can help one, maybe a dozen people, but good journalism that can impact millions. He says, "That's why we became journalists in the first place." And it's interesting in terms of James. As a character in his arc throughout the seasons because here he chooses to take pictures of the events that happen at the march instead of changing into the Guardian and helping out physically and preventing violence from happening that way. And I've seen reactions to this and they say, James, go change into your Guardian outfit and help out as the Guardian as a vigilante hero. But it's interesting because this is not unlike what happens with real photojournalists where they're in situations where maybe violence is happening or people are suffering and they make a decision to take the moment to take a photograph. And it's sort of like an ethical question that people have and one that in this episode, the right call for James was to take the picture.
1: Well, and the other part of this to keep in mind, and this comes up a lot in relation to like World War II and particularly commemoration of the Holocaust but it's also true with other atrocities and stuff throughout history. Documenting and remembering bad things that happen are in their own ways an act of defiance Mm -hmm. and an act of resistance. And I think that recognition is a little bit lost on some parts of the audience, particularly when we are in a culture where we have a president who says that the media is all terrible, lazy, lying people. So it's important to consider that as well that James holding a camera is every bit as powerful of a symbol as James holding a shield. Mm-hmm because it's protecting people in a different way, but it's still protecting them. Yeah,
0: And like the quote that I mentioned earlier from the book Paradise Built in Hell, beliefs matter. And in real life situations, when someone perceives the other person as being the enemy, that's when things escalate and violence can occur. So James making the decision to take these photographs and show people uniting will help to dispel that us versus them mentality and in the future influence people so that violence like that doesn't occur. And like, if the show is going to pursue this concept that journalists are heroes, then there have to be situations where the right decision isn't to run out and be a superhero vigilante fighting that way, but instead to write an article or publish a photo and impact people's minds. Which is particularly relevant for James's character because you know, in season two, he decided to become guardian at the same time that he was promoted as CEO of Kako, and in that season, he said that he had tried so many different ways in his life to help people. He said, whether in career or friendship, but it's just not enough. But this is referring to being the guardian and talks about how he was never meant to be in Superman's shadow or in Supergirls. He says, I'm more me as guardian than I've ever felt as James Olsen. And like... (laughs) In that same season, we saw his camera get destroyed and him sort of pursue being a hero in that sense, as opposed to using his power as a CEO Kecko. Keiko.
1: Mm. Well, and to add to that, James in season two almost went on his own kind of like downward spiral identity crisis that Kara has in season three, mm. because you have like this symbolic loss of his camera and the things that his camera meant to him and symbolized to him in terms of his relationship to his family mm. in particular. And he got very distant from all of that and really dove into this other identity because it made him feel like he was accomplishing something. Yeah. And then in this season, Lockwood and the Children of Liberty kind of take that away from him, much the way Kara felt like the cult was taking some of that mm. away from her. Because Lockwood puts James in this really horrible, awkward position where if he goes out as guardian and helps people... They're going to use him as a symbol for their Earth First movement, Mm -hmm. which James absolutely hates with the same amount of passion as Alex. But he shows it in a different way. (laughs) And he's also at this point in season four, still very mindful of the fact that they put him in the position of having to choose between killing someone and blowing up a symbol of the country's openness to immigration, particularly for aliens. Mm -hmm. So he's now found a way to get around that.
0: (laughs) It's interesting, though, because part of the reason that James was so enamored of the idea of becoming the Guardian was that he wanted to be a symbol like Superman and Supergirl were. He had that lovely speech in season three about the first time that Superman saved him and his sort of emotional connection to that and how important it was and how he could understand how people could see them as miracles. And then, you know, we have his father, who we know died in the Gulf War uh, and was likely a inspiration for him in terms of wanting to be a hero. Mm. But his father was also the subject of the first photo that James took. And the camera that was destroyed in season two was the one that he gave him right before he left for the Gulf War. So, you know, he has this sort of equal connection to the importance of photography. So he takes that picture of the human man helping the alien woman with a sign in the background that says stand together. And that photo seems to be helping change people's minds, apparently.
1: Yeah, it reminded me a lot of the moment in... Human for a Day, episode 107, where he follows Kara into the convenience store where she's trying to stop a robbery. <laughs> (laughs) And he's also so concerned in that scene from season one that Kara's going to get shot because she doesn't have her powers, but Mm. she still puts her suit on and goes and stops the guy pointing a gun at her anyway. Uses herself as a symbol. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But just the way that James was able to capture that moment and the idea of that humanity. And he says that in this episode that you look for the humanity as a photographer Mm. and as a journalist and that that's what he was achieving here. He humanized the struggle that these aliens are going through in a way that words alone haven't, and in a way that criticism of the bad guys, so like Lockwood's extremist, hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. Because throwing on negative criticism of somebody doesn't increase your empathy for the people that they're complaining about.
0: So something like maybe Cars, Aliens of National City article series is also a positive force in terms of telling stories, but this visual is very impactful. Nia says, it always amazes me how one photo can change the conversation. Conversation.
1: Yeah. And I liked that line as well, because it again called back to some things from season one and was probably deliberate because they also mentioned cat in this episode. Mm. But in the middle of season one. When Siobhan tries to throw that kind of media jargon around and talk about changing the conversation and we can do this and Kat snaps at her and is like, you don't know what those words mean or how to wield the power behind them properly. Stop talking. And so it's really cool to see James now having taken over Kat's position in a place where he can do that and he understands the value of it very Mm -hmm. clearly. Yeah. And so for repercussions of James's decision to show up at that rally and to take those pictures, because of his photos, there was enough of a public backlash and enough people in National City and elsewhere complained to their senators and their representatives that Congress chose not to try to repeal the Amnesty Act. So like, yay, step one. And... (laughs) In yet another example of how sometimes we say things at the end of podcast episodes and then (laughs) wish we hadn't the next week, Uh, we also finally got the consequences for the journalism storyline that we personally have been waiting for, for a couple weeks at least now. Mm -hmm. So that was a surprise Mm -hmm. twist.
0: James was shot and we'll have to see where that goes
1: now the fact that his sister's coming
0: makes more sense
1: (laughs) it's like what would motivate her to come there that hasn't already happened
0: oh (laughs) (laughs) well i mean technically james has already been shot in the show yeah jumping in front of lena speaking of lena
1: speaking of lena (laughs) lena's migrated over to the deo now which is like our fourth group in (laughs) the story because they're like Sort of vaguely neutral, but we're not (laughs) really really sure if that's true.
0: (laughs) Where do they stand?
1: (laughs) And so Lena's definitely in there in that area that's kind of a moral puzzle.
0: (laughs) Mm. Lena herself is a moral puzzle much of the time. Her character arc is about moral puzzles. In this episode we see her say, I refuse to rush anything that may kill your agents to Haley, who wants to immediately test the serum on her agents to be able to give them superpowers, which is a change from what we saw Mm -hmm. earlier in Lena's arc this season where she pushed ahead with the Hornell experiments immediately after she had an emotional disrupt and then sort of was fervently pursuing this and then tested Adam when the risk of death was at 15% and then he ended up dying, as far as we know.
1: (laughs) I know. I'm still not convinced that he's not going to like Frankenstein monster his way back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Would be fitting. So (laughs) there are two ways to interpret this. Two questions, really. Where was this for Adam? (laughs) And also, are you perhaps learning from previous mistakes?
1: (laughs) She's learning. So and then a lot of Lena's scene work in this episode was specifically dealing with with Haley, who's not actually her boss and can't throw her weight around in the same
0: way she tries with Alex. She couldn't with Supergirl either, but didn't didn't matter there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Didn't stop her trying and certainly doesn't stop her here. And that conflict that she got into with Lena over needing this technology now, I'm like, we're paying for you to do this, so you better do it, reminded me of this insight that I got when I was on a tour at the National Spy Museum and it was given by a retired CIA officer. And as we were walking through the museum, he was commenting on like the behind the scenes of content that was in some of the different exhibits. And we got to one that was talking about the satellite program from the space race. And he asked everybody on the tour how many tries we thought it took them to get that technology right before they were able to deploy it. Take a guess, Cycles. Two. (laughs) So here's the wild part. The actual number of iterations was like 60 something. (laughs) Which was crazy because nowadays a program like that would either get rushed through and implemented imperfectly or the government would scrap it before it had a chance to succeed. We've had such a cultural shift in terms of how quickly we expect things to happen and also focus on budget and expenses. And it's completely altered the way science is approached for kind of political and military purposes. And it was neat to see that embodied in this conflict here between mm. Lena and Haley. Like it added a nice little bit of extra realism to it in a way. Mm. And then there's just Colonel Haley, the continued mystery <laughs> as uh, both Alex and Brainy reflected in this episode. Yeah.
0: Although um, there was a touch of familiarity She said Lockwood is a bureaucrat with power he doesn't understand. And it's kind of interesting that she notices the amount of power that people have and kind of resents the fact that Lockwood has it and doesn't understand it.
1: Well, but it was also a nice way of hinting that maybe she doesn't think so well of him either. Yeah,
0: which was interesting. It was mysterious. And for some confounding. So in this episode, we saw her not really be concerned in terms of Supergirl's involvement in D.E.O. affairs. And she sent both Menagerie and the Morai to the D.E.O. And one of them had a, a note attached to it that you enjoyed.
1: Yes, it was a uh, very
0: passive-aggressively, Kara. <laughs> But also like friendly, but
1: (laughs) Exactly. It was like, You're welcome. Brainy was way too pleased when he presented it to Haley. Yeah. And then you see him tuck it away and I was like, it's gonna end up in some museum archive when he goes back to the (laughs) future. Just (laughs) wait. But the other part that I laughed at was, Well, I guess now we know why Kara spent all of history class doodling pictures of the super crest. (laughs) (laughs) It's her
0: signature. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. And then so Haley's like not concerned about it. When Brainy brings it up, she's like, oh, so Alex, you're free.
1: Ha, she sure is now. Thanks, (laughs) Mindwipe. Anyway, (laughs) sorry, I had to do it. The opportunity was there.
0: And it's interesting because when Haley assigns Alex to be Lockwood's bodyguard, essentially, she makes sure that Alex knows that the president wanted that and kind of washes her hands of it. And then, you know, at the end of the episode, she says, looks like American Alien was one of the good guys after all. After she was wary of the march that was planned because she thought it would go violently.
1: And that was the line in particular where Alex and Brainy kind of stared at each other like they had just entered Bizarro World. Yeah. And it's an interesting contrast because earlier on in the episode, she kept telling Brainy that he needed to hack into the database for the march and see if there were any extremists involved, Mm. which was a curious choice because the government of the United States actually did this a lot, especially during the civil rights movement in the 60s and specifically when it involved black protest groups. So it was a curious choice to have Colonel Haley be the character delivering this Mm. directive. And so other important point here is uh, spying on domestic citizens without probable cause is not really legal. It is still done now, however. So keep that in mind if you are politically active.
0: PSA. Haley is watching.
1: (laughs) Pretty much.
0: And then Haley tells Lena that she can chill. (laughs) she can take the day off. Kind
1: of like how Kara kept telling
0: Nia she needed to <laughs> chill a little. Uh, although Lena does not end up chilling. To Eve's dismay, <laughs> they do not get a day off. And Haley says, there's a civil war brewing. I can smell it in the air, but there may be hope for the country yet. Just a strangely optimistic thing to hear her right? say. I mean, Haley the whole time has been a confusing character. Well, not confusing, just, just interesting.
1: <laughs> well, they've done a good job of slowly parceling out the insights into her mm. character, but definitely she's optimistic about something the rest of us don't know yet (laughs) in terms of like whatever the president or she is planning in terms of her new ways to combat aliens Mm -hmm. I also that way she phrased that one in particular made me think it was meant to be a slight reference to Hamilton Mm -hmm. it's worded similarly to the line there's trouble in the air you can smell it Mm -hmm. which the only reason I thought that that one was a possibility is because That's the opening line to the song Say No to This, Mm -hmm. and it's being directed at Lena, Mm -hmm. who we already know in the teaser for next week is going to be put in a position where someone is going to ask her with a lot of emotional pressure to do something she should probably refuse to do. And then we also had Lena's, as she's refusing to take a day off. Her very ominous, well, tomorrow may already be too late. And then we cut right to, you know, mm. James getting
0: shot and lying on the floor in the next yeah. scene. So one of the questions everyone has, like, who's going to get powers because of Lena? <laughs> When's it going to happen?
1: <laughs> who is going to need to be rescued by this hero now? Someone will. <laughs> yes. And then just to round out the discussion of Haley, I want to just bring up something this happened the last time we had a conversation between Haley and one of the main characters where they felt the need to bring up historical references to protests against the government and didn't do it well Mm -hmm. so the scene where she's telling Brainy that he needs to investigate the people at the protest from a storytelling standpoint you need to have her have a motivation for why she's saying this Mm -hmm. like in order to justify it out loud to other people or to herself so i get it like that part makes sense however the way she chose to justify it was weird and really kind of misleading and they did this in one of the early episodes of the season as well where it felt like somebody just looked up some historical events that they assumed nobody would really know what they were so that they could just throw the words in there to fill the sentence because Haley justifies needing to kind of spy on the alien protesters because she doesn't want things to go wrong. Like in, the Tiananmen Square protest, which most of the audience isn't even going to remember what that was. And it also happened in China. And it was a student protest against an authoritarian government and was suppressed by the government. She's literally the government trying to suppress a protest. Mm -hmm. That's a weird choice. And the same thing happens in the other example she chooses, which is the bonus march in the United States in 1932, which was a protest held by military (laughs) veterans after World War I because they had been promised money. Money for fighting, and due to the depression and the fact that Herbert Hoover was a horrible president, they came to Washington and tried to put pressure on Congress to receive their bonus money a couple years early. That one, again, was also suppressed by the military itself. Mm-hmm. It's also a bit frustrating and kind of a misleading false equivalency because there have been over 160 marches on Washington in the past century, including one by the KKK, And almost none of them turned violent, and almost none of them have been shut down because the right to peaceful assembly is protected by the Constitution, and we're allowed to do this, and it's a part of our culture. Like, places where protests tend to get violent like that are in countries with really authoritarian regimes where they don't like people having opinions. Mm -hmm. So it was a weird dialogue choice. And a lot of their other historical references and stuff have been very spot on, so it's a Little odd how every time they come up in the context of the military policy stuff, they never seem to quite work. Not their area of
0: expertise, I suppose.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, and like I get that, but like perusing the list of marches on Washington on Wikipedia
0: could have picked a couple better ones. (laughs) And I I initially was like, well, it makes sense for Haley as a character to have these sort of bad examples.
1: I mean, it kind of does, but they were like examples of abuses by someone in her position of power, (laughs) which like if you're trying to explain to your employees that you should do the thing, you don't want to be like, yeah, that time that the Chinese government killed a bunch of people. Well, I mean,
0: like in terms of like when people read a situation where it's like, oh, it wasn't actually the military that <laughs> they were doing the thing. Well, yeah. But then well, it was also like, Alex, if the writers had been cognizant of that and wanted us to be cognizant of that, they would have had somebody pointed it out.
1: Yeah, exactly. But I, I get like she would be concerned about those kind of security threats like that's legitimate. And that I said before is something that the U.S. government has done And that people are very critical of the U.S. government Mm -hmm. for doing because it usually negatively harms minorities. Mm -hmm. But maybe a little bit more looking into how it is justified from a legal perspective on the government side would have been a better Mm -hmm. choice instead of the way that they chose to do that in this case. And then one other similar kind of politics-oriented thing, this episode kind of skated around the idea that the separation of powers in the United States government exists, but I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't take the step of providing that moment of public education Mm -hmm. and actually explaining it because you have Kara in Jean's office with him and Nia going, oh my God, Lockwood's going to try to repeal the Amnesty Act. Can he do that? Is he allowed to do that? The answer is no. (laughs) Nia, they've established in the story, went to Georgetown, interned for the White House press secretary, and lived in Washington, D.C. She would have been more than capable of pointing out that Lockwood is a member of the president's cabinet and that only Congress or the Supreme Court have the power to repeal a law. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So that was like a weird choice not to remind people Mm -hmm. Of how the civic process works, because a lot of the public, as we can tell, doesn't
0: actually seem to know. Yeah. And then there was the choice of having Kara, who you made the point of her disinterest in history, but she's also (laughs) currently like writing articles about political affairs. And And Lockwood specifically? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think she would know. It was likely like an exposition choice for them to be able to say, no, we can't really, but it's about this. But then they also didn't take it further than that, which would have been nice. So this episode did well with the sort of emotional component of the tensions in America right now, but the as we phrase it with Kara and Alora, the practical concerns were not fully supported. Well,
1: it was just a little disappointing in an episode that was so focused on the power of media. Yeah. Like they could've really just taken it to that next level if it had like a couple more lines of dialogue in there.
0: There are also a couple little things similar to the situation with Kara where it was To be able to tell the audience something. So like it made sense for the writing Mm -hmm. to have that happen with Kara. There were other moments that were like that where it's like I know why you did this. But you shouldn't have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. With Kara in her disguise. You noticed, I didn't even notice at first, that she was wearing her, like, Kara Danvers attire in front of Menagerie and talking about, like, Supergirl stuff. (laughs) And the purpose of this was to be like, Nia's still wearing her suit when she shouldn't be in that scene. But Nia was in the right, (laughs) actually. (laughs) They could have written around it, but they didn't. But it's like, you also know why it exists. It's just a shame. And then there was also the moment where Kara joined the march and said, "Not Supergirl, Kara Zor-el." Telling everyone around her that her first name was Kara, and it, it was not like any of the like strangers were going to connect the fact that Kara Zor-el has the first name as Kara Danvers. Yeah, they don't know her, <laughs> and she could skate by with like. Hopefully, there were no like reporters or people who were going to go out and tell everyone that Supergirl's name is actually Kara Zor-el. So it was like technically probably fine. And the reason the Kara zor moment exists. Is for the dramatic like phrasing of it, and so that it'll be a powerful moment.
1: Yeah, to give Kara that beat of acknowledging that she is a refugee and a disenfranchised immigrant, just like all these other people.
0: Yes, and then even with Menagerie, like would she have the motivation to go tell people Kara Danvers is Supergirl? But it's also not the right moment to have these sorts of slip-ups.
1: Yeah, it kind of ruins the dramatic necessity of the mind wipe. And particularly, a lot of fans reacted this way and they were like, so why was that plot line even necessary if you spent several episodes stressing how important it is that Kara's secret is kept and then in this episode
0: there's no attempt to keep it at all Mm -hmm. and so that that was a bit contradictory and and we don't always like agree with certain reads regarding car and her identity like Mm -hmm. we had a whole episode that was like in support of how the glasses and the disguise works but this was one of those moments that you have to be like okay that just didn't fit
1: yeah so hopefully that won't happen too much more going forward because this episode, other than that stuff, did a really nice job of continuing the pattern of the last couple and raising the stakes a
0: lot for all of the main characters. Mm -hmm. And on an emotional level, it was really solid. Yeah. And it was a lighter episode in a way that felt like a payoff (laughs) for all the suffering that the audience has gone through. Yeah, there was like a break in the clouds. (laughs) Yes. And it was cool to see Kara, you know, embrace her heritage. That's always sort of a powerful image. And I generally really liked the episode, so.
1: I did. Other than those few minor things. Mm -hmm. It was definitely one of their more solid episodes of the season. And it actually feeds really nicely, almost like they did it on purpose,
0: (laughs) into next week's episode. Yeah, next week is called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Which is... Also a movie title. Yes. So
1: that title suddenly has twice the relevance that it did when we knew that Lex was coming. Because we also have this storyline with James having been shot and we know his sister will be showing up. So Mm. I am looking forward... to three layers of sibling (laughs) angst in this episode it should be great because we're gonna have the luthers the danvers and the olsons all (laughs) struggling
0: somehow. It's true. And it's interesting because the phrase, O oh, Brother thou" is a reference to Cain and Abel. We'll talk about that more in the next episode. But
1: yes, maybe Manchester will talk about
0: it for us since he likes to quote the Bible. <laughs> Possibly. Although it makes me wonder if maybe James's sister will feel like a sort of responsibility for what happened to James. Mm,
1: which would be such an excellent parallel to the Danvers children. <laughs> Just planting that seed.
0: <laughs> Uh, and then possibly Lena, in terms of should I help my brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Mm. Lena certainly feels like she is. <laughs> the world treats her like she is.
1: <laughs> Lillian Luther specifically <laughs> treats her like she's... Oh, and maybe Lillian will be back, which could uh, also cause fun complications mm. for several of these pairs
0: of siblings. What I want is for Oh Brother Walt! to be a sibling episode and then the next one for all the parents to come and- <laughs>
1: That would be pretty
0: great, actually.
1: <laughs> well, the teaser also suggested that... Lex comes back with some kind of—this might be a spoiler if you even avoid the 15-second teasers— something about a red sun, and he's using this as a plan to, like, destroy the supers and Linus, arguing that it's going to kill everyone. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, when Manchester runs into the room full of blinding sunlight, Kara explains that there's a baby sun-eater that Khalel apparently keeps as a pet— <laughs> So I wonder if this little creature will be useful for foiling this mysterious red sun that isn't other Kara, we think. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe it is. Maybe all the plot lines are about to come together.
0: (laughs) So we are looking forward to all the excitement that the next episode will bring and episodes after that. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening.